I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Kids are dismissed. I just want to, I feel very led to say something before we go on with the service. Uh, has nothing to do with what I'm preaching. I feel like God is wanting me to say something to the church. It's very, uh, very timely. And um, just give me a second. Is that all right? I want to say that it's never a waste of time for you to be in the in the house of the Lord. It's never a waste of time. I will tell you, in the flesh, I've left here, uh, my carnal flesh, when I left here, I preached, preached with everything I had, and I didn't feel like I did any good. I said to myself, well, that was a waste of my time. And I'm sure you've probably been in church before where you thought I could be somewhere else. That was a waste of your time. Um, but I want to I want to give you something the Lord has given me, and I hope I can condense this down in a few moments. Um, but there are times when you worship God, when we worship God, and the words can be completely empty. Scripture said, points at people that worship God with their lips and their hearts are far from Him. And so the only, the only thing standing between us and our blessing is simply our motive. And, as, and the reason as to why we do what we do. Because you can come in here and you can shout and you can dance. You can lift your hands and your mind and your heart is somewhere else. And the motive in which you do what you do will make the difference and all the difference in the world whether you receive your blessing. The woman with the issue of blood that touched Jesus and stopped him in his tracks. What made Jesus stop? And say, who touched me? It was an odd question because I wasn't there. I don't know how many people was trying to touch Jesus, but I know it had to be hundreds, possibly thousands of people. And this woman that touched Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus literally stops and he asks the question, who touched me? Well, there was a lot of people touching him. There was a lot of people that wanted things. And I'm sure there was a lot of needs uh, in, in that crowd that day. But the woman that, that, that touched Jesus, it, 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 the, the uh, determining factor as to why Jesus stopped had everything to do with the motive of the woman that, that stopped and touched Jesus. And I want to... I want to... I, I want to uh, for us just to pause for a moment and ask ourselves the question, why am I here? And why do I praise the Lord? Why do I sing the songs? Why do I lift my hands? Why do I cry out to Jesus? And when you start questioning those things and reevaluating your motives, then, then God can bless you. And so what I want you to do 
Because I know I just had you to sit down. But I want you to stand to your feet just for one moment. And before I dismiss you this morning, I want you to throw every thought out of your mind. I want you to dismiss every thought of any trouble. I know some of you have walked in here this morning with things weighing on your mind and your spirit. Whether they're financial difficulties, whether they're sicknesses, whether you feel depressed this morning. And I want you, every, every eye closed in this place. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to focus on the master this morning. I want you to focus on Jesus. I, I'm not, uh, it's not some magic, uh, uh, potion this morning. I'm not asking you to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to do anything that's out of the way. I'm just asking you to focus on Jesus. And I want you to think about what he has done for you. I want you to think about every blessing that he has ever put on you and given to you. He has spared your life many times. He has, he has brought you out of, uh, uh, out of a life of sin. He has spared your ch- children's life. He has healed you. He has given to you. He has blessed you. It's easy to focus on all the negative things. It's, it's easy to focus on the negative things. But this morning, I wonder if you could just raise your hands. All over this place. And I wonder if you could just lift your voice with me. And with the motives that I've got to touch the hem of his garment this morning. I want you to throw every thought that's out of your mind that's not of God. And I want you to put them towards him and focus on him. Come on, let's lift our voice just for a few moments. And I want you to cry out to him. Come on, I want to hear your voice this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's cry out to him just for a moment. Come on, somebody with me, say hallelujah. Begin to worship him in spirit and in truth right now. Lord, I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. Hallelujah. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for the blood you shed on Calvary's hill. Jesus, I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now moving in this place. Come on, some of you who walked out in here with weights, the Lord is taking them off of you right now. Hallelujah. The Lord is clearing your path right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's clearing the path. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. I think it'd be an honor, an order to us clap our hands to Jesus, giving praise and all the honor. Hallelujah. Worship. goodness I feel the Holy Ghost right now thank you for thank you for being obedient I, I really truly believe that the Lord wants to do things and wants to, to to move in mighty ways he's just waiting on his people to, to react many times we spend our time waiting on God to make the, the next move I'm telling you he's already way in front of us he's already made uh, we just gotta we just gotta make up the difference. Amen. Scripture says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, if so he puts that responsibility. Thank you for responding this morning. Uh, it is so good this morning to uh, have back our uh, I call them snowbirds uh, and uh, brother and sister Elliot is back from their winter winter uh, I don't even say a vacation uh, but it's nice to be able to leave this cold cold state and go somewhere else where it's warm and what is it what's the date today what's the date the eighth we've got 12 more days till spring 12 more days. Then we'll be griping and saying, "Well, I wish it was cool off." And how many you're gonna? How many you complain? It doesn't matter what season it is. I do. It's too hot. It's too humid. It's too cold. Too windy. Uh, but anyway, it's almost spring. You may be dismissed in Jesus' name if you are are supposed to be. I'm going to say on your way out. You can hear me. What I'm going to say tonight. I know uh, we have ladies' prayer room uh, open to the ladies and the men uh, downstairs. I'm going to open the sanctuary tonight to prayer. Uh, we, uh, Whoever is in the sound booth, I want music playing, please, at 530. And uh, we're, we're going to gather in here and pray. And uh, I may even uh, lead some prayer before service tonight, but I, I feel led to do so. So be expecting to come in here. And do that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to uh, start uh, and or go back to last Sunday and I'm going to try to uh, uh, start where I left off. And uh, we're going to talk about Psalms 23. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus is in charge of your life? 
Aren't you glad this morning that when you absolutely don't have the answer, that you can lean on him? Bible says he is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone, which is the benchmark. Any builder knows, any builder knows that when you start a project in the building, you find the, the cornerstone or the benchmark or the point of reference. I asked my father-in-law, what, what's the first thing you do is you find the highest point of reference on that ground and everything else is measured from that highest point. You don't go to the lowest point. So that tells me Jesus being the chief cornerstone, he is the highest, the high point in our life. And anything that we measure in our, uh, in our lives should be measured from that cornerstone. And if it doesn't line up, you've lined up with the wrong or you've started in the wrong place. So if, if you have any questions in life, you ought to go back to the cornerstone, which is the first and the last. Amen. And this morning, we we're very thankful that we serve Jesus. We, we serve Jesus. Uh, I'm going to start reading, and I, I know I read it last week, but I'm going to read the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing for so long. I want to thank this church, your amazing people. I want to thank you for being the greatest church in the world. Amen. It's all right. You can you can clap your hands. You're not you're not narcissistic because you think you're the greatest church in the world. You're a part of the greatest church in the world. I love McCormick's Creek Church. Amen. David, he, he uh, as I said last week. David uh, is, he can uh, identify with being a sheep or he can identify with being a shepherd. The, the, the job of a shepherd, it was actually the least desired uh, occupation. It took, it took a lot of time. You didn't, it, you were, it wasn't like you could clock in an uh, eight to five, nine to five job that you could go home and forget about your job. But the job of a shepherd, it was an, it was a tenual, continual job. You, you, uh, would lose sleep over it. You worried about the, 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 the sheep that you, you tended to. Uh, David understood what it was, uh, what it took to be a shepherd because that's what he was in his physical life. He was a shepherd. Um, matter of fact, he, Loved, uh, he loved his father's sheep to the point where when a bear and a lion came out to kill one of his sheep, uh, he steps in front of that bear and a lion and risked his own life, sacrificed his own life to save his own father's sheep. And I can't help but to believe that's one of the reasons why God chose David to lead Israel. And he was tired of the Saul mentality, that carnality, that Saul was in it 
for himself and Saul only cared for his own uh, uh, his own future and what was going on in Saul's life. Uh, unlike Saul, David cared more about uh, the sheep or people more than Saul did. And God looks at David and thinks, well, if David would risk his life to save a few measly sheep that wasn't even his, how much more would he fight for the people of God that's not his? Amen. And so David, he he proves that how much the shepherd loved his sheep. And he's looking at God as uh, though uh, that as in his own position, he it's a mere image and he could explain it. Who better to explain uh, the a role of a shepherd than David, a shepherd himself? And so he. Uh, makes it very personal when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Went over this last week, but briefly let me go over it. He made his shepherd, his uh, his Lord, his God. And uh, some people live their life uh, through other people. And uh, kids, for instance, they go to church because dad took them to church. They go to church because grandma took them to church. And David, he didn't live for God through somebody else. He lived for God because he had a direct relationship with Jesus, if you will. I understand we, 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 we talk about word logistics and all that. David didn't uh, in, in the Old Testament. So when I refer to Jesus or when I refer uh, to God, I'm talking about Jesus. All right. Understand that. Brother Snellenberger, we, we have that conversation all the time. I got to break, break free from that. We know that God, his name is so when I even talk about the God of the Old Testament, I'm talking about Jesus. All right. Amen. I know, I, I know I'm not talking about one God this morning, but I will tell you this, that Jesus is the eternal God. So when I refer to Jesus or any the God of the Old Testament, I'm referring to Jesus. He made God his God. He made Jesus his Jesus. And so this morning, I want to tell you this, that your motive your motive is everything. And when you worship Jesus, you should worship him because you have a direct relationship with Jesus. I don't worship Jesus. I don't worship Jesus through my father or my mother. Thank, thank God for what my parents have taught me. But I have a direct relationship with Jesus myself. And it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can still have a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, some of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard prayed are some of the simplest prayers I've ever heard prayed. And that comes from some of our youth. I hear those kids pray. And my goodness, I wish I had that kind of faith. When Jesus talked about the faith, we should have faith as a child. Why? Because children understand that they have a direct relationship with Jesus. David made that statement when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my own personal shepherd. Then he went on to say, I shall not want. I'm not going to have any needs outside of Jesus Christ. There are too many people that are in the church. They're unsatisfied. They're not they're they're not content in their hearts and their minds. And I'll tell you, it begins and ends with the lack of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Philip had a problem when he said, Father, or Jesus, show us the Father so it'll suffice suffice us or so it'll satisfy us. And what he was saying was, we're not satisfied with your presence and we want to see your Father. And Jesus couldn't understand that. He's looking in the face of Philip. He said, how long have I been with you? He said, you know, I, I, I've, you've, you, you've got to know who I am. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it, the scriptures go on to say that Jesus is the head of all principality and we are complete in him. So if I have Jesus, I don't need anything else. There are too, too many people that have made creation God or they've made things their God. I'm going to tell you something. Those things will die. Those things will burn up. Things. You cannot put your faith in things because those things will burn up. They're, they, 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 they are not eternal. Jesus also talked about storing up treasures in heaven where moth or rust cannot corrupt. And uh, David was saying, when I've got the shepherd in my life, I don't have any other needs. I'm complete. I'm, I'm okay with just having him. When you get to that point in your life that you have the attitude that as long as I've got Jesus, everything else can fall apart in your life. As, but as long as I've got Jesus... I always point back to an elder that we had in our church in, in Ziegler, Illinois, James Willis. He had nothing. And I always remember him saying stuff along the lines. Well, at least I got Jesus. I got Jesus. He's everything to me. If I didn't have Jesus, I wouldn't be nothing. And he continually pointed back to that. And it, it did when he lost things, when people would walk out of his life. Uh, I'm sure he suffered disappointments. I'm sure he was frustrated at times being human, uh, that, that he was, that he hurt and he was probably depressed. But I'll tell you this, he went to his deathbed knowing that Jesus was everything to him. It was the focal point of everything. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be around Jesus. He wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, I think that's something that we're missing in our generation, that they're not satisfied with just having Jesus. And until you are dissatisfied with just having Jesus, you're going to have many disappointments in life when you base your faith by things other than Jesus or through the word of God. Uh, and there are a lot of people that their faith is made up or 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 based on things in their life. And the sad rea- uh, reality of that is when you base your your faith on things in this world, one day your faith is going to be good and the next day it's going to be mediocre. And then the next day it could plummet. And I see people living their life like that all the time. Conditions change all of a sudden. Things happen, negative things happen in their life and they walk around depressed, beat down, defeated. Oh, then the next day everything's great. Why? Because you know something good happened to them in their life. You know people like that? Actually, we probably all lived our life 
thinking that way, uh, you know, and, and I know that there's going to be disappointments and I know that there's going to be failures and I know there's going to be losses. But it's possible to have the joy of the Lord despite of what's going on in our life. It's a little quiet in here this morning. It's good for me because I get I get nervous because I think what. But then they say sheep are quiet when they eat. So that's what I'm going to bank on this morning. So I want I want my job as a father, uh, as a husband, as a, a leader and a pastor of a church is to always point people to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Matter of fact, that's what made John the Baptist great when he said, you're 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 barking up the wrong tree when they ask him, are you the savior? No. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Isaiah? Are you this? And he never, ever said, I am John. John spent his whole life pointing to Jesus. And when John's head was cut off, the people that heard John's voice they continued living for for Jesus because they didn't put all their um, <coughs> excuse me they didn't put all their faith in a man that followed God they put all their faith in Jesus Christ and that's why Jesus was able to say that John was the greatest that was ever born of a woman and then there was the other example that I used last week I want to briefly use that <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> that Abraham had a he he was actually is he was known uh, to be the father of the uh, of the faithful or the faithful one and he was a powerful man of God and he was a blessed man of God but Lot was also blessed but you notice when Lot was w- walked out of the fa- uh, life of Abraham Lot's life fell apart and that was because he wanted to put his faith in other things other than having a direct relationship with God. I'll never forget a message your son preached by the Elliot when he came here. Lot. You know what the problem with Lot was? He wanted to be, he wanted to be blessed, but he wanted, he wanted to be, uh, uh, he wanted to have his own life and he wanted his own flocks. And he cared more about his flocks than about having a relationship with the man of God in his life. Now, and I'll never forget what he said. He wanted to keep his flock. So he said, you know what, hey, Uncle Abraham, I'm going to leave you because I want to keep what my, my blessings. But then he moved to the city. And I'll never forget when Brother, uh, Pastor Elliot said when he moved to the city, he had to get rid of his flocks. So he lost he lost his flocks any anyway. And it's a it's proof, 100 percent proof that when you uh, base your faith on things outside of a direct relationship with God, you will fall and you will falter. Went on to say, he maketh me lie down in green pastures, forceful word, maketh. God knows more than what we know for uh, that than what we need for ourselves. That word maketh, that's a forceful word. Sometimes God will make you and force you into places in your life that you don't want to be in. But it's the will of God. There's times and the hardest times in our life is when we learn the most. (coughs) I'm having problems with my voice this morning. Can you open this for me? I know it. 
takes more. I, thank you. I can't hardly open. He's so strong. <laughs> he maketh me lie down in green pastures. Those times when you think you lost your job, those times when you think you, you, you lost your position and you blame it on the devil or you blame it on the mean boss, you blame it on the boss that doesn't like Pentecostals, you know, you blame it on this person, you blame it on, could it be that God says, you know what, I have a bit bigger, better thing for that, for, for my child. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make him lie down in green pastures. In other words, the pasture that you were in was running out of life. And David was saying, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. The nature of a sheep is to eat the blade of grass, eat the root. And before long, and I'm not saying you all are done. I'm going to say the nature of a sheep. I got to be very careful. Because <laughs> we are all sheep. We are all sheep. Pastor, ministry, we're all sheep. And it's, it's the nature of a sheep because you get in a comfortable place just to stay. That's where you've always been. It's the way it's always been. You don't want to, who doesn't really care much for change? You just don't like change. I don't like, I just, I like things to be consistent. And then, then, then all of a sudden, uh, you feel like the whole world caves and everything's changed and your, your, your uh, itinerary gets messed up. And you have to change your calendar. It's frustrating. And it pushes you out of un- into uncomfortable territories and places. That's what he was saying. He said, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. The nature of a sheep is to eat the, 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 the green part, then eat the root. And before long, he's eating dirt. And if he's not pushed out, he will die. And sometimes God will uproot you and push you in places that you're uncomfortable with. And a lot of times we blame it on either the devil or people in our lives and we get frustrated. Here, I'm, I, I feel the Holy Ghost when I'm telling somebody this. You've worried because, and you've been frustrated, you've, you've been angry, and you've been bitter because life uh, some, somehow you feel like it's been unfair to you, but hear me this morning when I tell you that God orders the steps of a righteous man or woman. And not, nothing happens to us. God doesn't stand up there and go, well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to hurt him or hurt her because uh, um, I don't like them or uh, whatever. And we think that a lot of times we think, well, what, why do I always have to go through this? And why do I always have to suffer through this? Could it be that God is pushing you into a greater destiny? When the children of Israel wanted to stay in Egypt because they were comfortable there. It's proof when the scripture said when they begged, they wanted to go back into Egypt. One scripture went on in the, uh, when he was talking to Abraham, he said, look, I'm going to use the enemy to push them out into their destiny. I'm going to use the hand of the Egyptians to push them into their destiny. And sometimes God will push us into places where, where, where we don't think we want to be. But hear me, know this, that God has our best interest in mind. He knows more than you. He knows more than us. He leadeth me beside still waters. 
as opposed to rushing waters, as opposed to, to waters that we can't see our reflection. You know, you can't see your reflection in, in, in running water. You can't reevaluate yourself and, and reflect on running water. Sheep are skittish. They don't drink. They won't drink in waters that that are, are swift. And so God leads them uh, beside still waters. He takes us to lonely, isolated places. And many times it's because he wants us to be able to see the, the things in our lives that we really need to change. We call it places of depression and loneliness and isolation. And we call it times when nobody, nobody cares for us. I just feel so lonely. I feel so isolated. Could it be that God has us in places like that so we can have a relationship and communication with him? Some of the greatest things that David ever wrote in the, in the book of Psalms was when he was all alone. When he was, when he felt uh, forsaken. Matter of fact, you can see it throughout the book of Psalms. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why do you have me here? When I look to, uh, up, he's not there. I look down, he's not there. I look all around, he's not there. It's, it's times like that that we could reflect. He said, he leadeth me beside still waters. And then, uh, verse three, he restoreth my soul. Restoreth my soul. A soul that was once had life. He was saying that there's always room for forgiveness. There's always room for restoration. I think that's one of the things, not just, let me just say in, in, in Pentecost, because that's all I really know. I don't know anything outside of being apostolic. So I'm going to say this, that I think that's one of the greatest things that we need to work on in our churches. Cross the board. Restoration. How many people do you know in your life that are backslidden? That probably would have made their way back if they, if, if it's not that they don't think that God can't restore. A lot of people think that the church won't give them a chance to be restored. I could spend a lot of time on this subject right here. How many people do you know have even said to you, I better not walk into that church, lightning will strike. I better not go there. This, the, things, the things I've done is too bad and people will look at me and, and, and think bad of me. Some of y'all have been there. It's not that you don't think that God won't forgive you. We know that God forgives. We know that, it's, that Jesus forgive us. We have an advocate with the Father. He is faithful and just to forgive. But the problem is, even though we know the shepherd restores, we don't believe that the church restores. I've got a brother that's backslid. I've got a sister that's backslid. And I'd pay any amount of money to see him walk through the back door of a church. 
I'd give, I'd give every dime I had. I'd give every guitar I had. I'd give everything I had to see them make it to heaven. But the problem, I, I, I don't think it's that with that, that them thinking that Jesus won't restore them. Many people don't think the church will restore them. And hear me, the church, the church, it's not the church's uh, uh, blood that was shed on Calvary for this world. It's it's the it's the blood of the shepherd that forgives the sins. And we're no better. We're never we don't call the shots. We don't have a right. We do not have a right to say who comes back and who doesn't get forgiveness. We shouldn't be like the the son that stood on the back porch when the prodigal son comes back home. And we're a lot of times the, the church stands on the back porch. We should have been right up in the front yard clapping our hands and dancing and rejoicing when the prodigal son came home. We should have been right up there with them. I'll never forget it when I, 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 I. see, Dad. You don't, you don't know these. You, you don't know this, and I know this is going to hurt to hear about your son. When I lived in Clinton, Tennessee, I'd been so lonely. I had friends. It wasn't the problem. It just felt lonely. Mom and dad had moved back to Illinois. I uh, had that little yellow 85 Nissan Sentra. Like a Cracker Jack box. And in my mind, I was so down and depressed. Every day I'd go to work, I'd speed up to 80, 85 mile an hour as fast as that car would go. There was a big old tree on the side of the road, and I'd take my seatbelt off, literally take it off. I'd speed up, and that, I thought that's the day. Some days I didn't even take my lunch to work. Because I didn't think I was going to need it. I'd speed up, and I thought I'm going to drive my car, and if I hit hard enough, I hit right, I'm not going to even feel... And I wanted to make my way back so bad, but I'm going to tell you what kept me. What, what kept me from making it back to church. I knew that Jesus would forgive me, but I didn't think, I didn't think the church would ever look at me the way, cause I, cause I viewed myself broken and hurt, mentally spent. And I thought that everybody would see me the way I saw myself. And I thought there's no way. And God was running from a call in my life. God called me to preach and I didn't, I was scared to death. And I was, I was going to end it all. I know that's hard to hear about your son, but I didn't think that I could be restored. Hear me. I don't care how far you go and I don't care what you've done in your life. It, Jesus forgives. And as far as this church, you're forgiven. There's restoration. Don't you ever let some knucklehead tell you you can't make your way back to Jesus. I can spend spend most of my time right on this scripture. He restoreth my soul. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives our sins. It's not, it's not the, 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 the rules and regulations of the church that forgives the sins. It's not. 
I've seen people walk in here that needed forgiveness. And, and some, and I, I know, it, I hate saying it because I, I can't say anything worse. I just say knucklehead. I've seen some self-righteous knucklehead person walk up and go, are you serious? Why are you doing that? Why are you here? Why are you wearing that? Why are you, how long has it been since you've been in church? And, begin, and, and they may even be joking in some way, but these people are hurting. They need restoration. They're so, what we need to do, the first thing we need to do is say, welcome back. We love you. You're still our brother. You're still our sister. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for, for his name's sake. Jesus really does care about his name. He cares. And it's not that your actions are going to mar his, his name, but he gives us peace and he gives us the Holy Ghost to walk in the right paths because he wants us to support his name. His name is a strong tower. And the Bible says the righteous are run into it and they are saved. So when we stand for the name of Jesus, every decision that we make, we, we should say, am I going to make his name look bad? The way I live my life, I should say, okay, this decision I'm going to make, I'm supporting his name. I'm carrying his name. He's our husband. And I, I don't want to make him look bad. I can't tell you how many times. I, I, I don't I, God, I got to stop being so honest. How many promise me that you'll give me restoration when I tell you this? Please. I can't tell you. I, I, I'm. I think probably one of my greatest weaknesses in life is I'm just a fighter by nature. I remember, I remember one time I was at work at, at Hall Signs. I'd worked Hall Signs, and me and this guy, I'd actually got this guy the job there. He had went through a divorce. He, he was, his life was shattered. I mean, he was on the verge of suicide, and I helped him get the job. I called my boss in. I said, hey, give my friend this job. And he said, time to come in. He said, you vouch for him? I said, yeah, he's a good guy. And what I knew about him was a good guy. So I got him the job, and him and I were friends. And one day we were, he was, he'd prank me, and I'd prank him back, and just goofing off at work. I know some of y'all don't do that. Now you know where my sons get, get what they, where they, what they do. Uh, we was just pranking back and forth. And at the end of the day, um, he was standing in line, the clock out. And I walked up and I, I, I pinched his side. And uh, I guess he was ticklish or whatever, but he was in front of his friends. And I scared him, startled him, and he got mad. Well, he pushed me. I mean, he started saying some really horrible things to me, calling me some things. At first, I thought he was joking. Because we've been joking all day long. And so I said, hey, man, you know, I'm, we're, we're just kidding. I, I don't, what, what's wrong? And he, he started, kept cussing me and cussing me. He was in front of his friend, one of the his friends. And he starts making threats. And then his two or three guys that he was with started uh, mocking me and laughing at me and uh, making threats. Oh, we'll take you outside and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Remember that, and, I, and you start justifying, you start thinking, well, Jesus beat them guys out of the temple. He was without sin. And, I mean, he sat down and made a whip 
Brother Krause, he took time to make a whip. And he beat them out of the temple. And that's what was going through my mind. Man, I'm going to take my belt off and wrap it around your neck. I'm not kidding you. I started thinking about this. And I thought, man, I promise you, it had nothing to do. I didn't care about losing my job. I didn't care. I thought, man, I could rock this guy's world. Matter of fact, I had such a an attitude in my mind. I thought, I'll whip all four of you or three or four of you. I don't care. I was just so mad. And he was talking smack. And I was walking out right before I got out the door, man. He hauled off and he punched me right in the spine, in the back. Took my breath and I stopped. I turned around. I looked at him. And you know why I didn't hit him? Because I didn't want to make Jesus look bad. I'm, that's the truth. Matter of fact, I called Pastor Robertson. I called him. I was so mad. Uh, I, I wanted, I got home. I don't think I had cell phone then. I got home and I was in tears. I said, Brother Robertson, I, I went through this and this is what I wanted to do. Brother Robertson, you all know Brother Robertson. He said, you know what? I probably would have broke his arm. I said, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. But I said, he said, man, how did you hold back? Because the things he was saying. I said, you know what? I didn't want to make God look bad, and I didn't want to make you look bad. I didn't want to make the church look bad. My name would have been in the paper. I'd have been arrested. I'd have lost my job. All that stuff. More than anything, I didn't want to make God look bad. There was a, one time, it was a, in the scripture, somebody, it was somebody had sinned and failed, and he had asked forgiveness. He said, you're forgiven. However, he said, your failures has brought an occasion to the enemy to gloat. You have given ammunition to the devil, to, and you have made him look bad. And so he said, I want you to be led in the path of righteousness for not my name's sake. And so we should ask the question before we react. We should say, is it going to make Jesus look bad? This is how that's, that's how I'm taking the scripture. He went on to say, yo, yay, though, yo, yo, yay, yo, though I walk through the path. It's a wrap. Yo. Just going on Facebook right now? Live? Yo, yo. Brother. <laughs> it's hard to get that back. Now you're on thinking. When I, you read the scripture, you're going to get think, yo. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Notice when he said, I'll walk through it. Many people, when they get in, in, in a bad situation, they, they camp there. They sit there. The problem with, with standing still in a place, eventually you become part of the scenery. When Joseph saw his father, Jacob, for the first time, two things he said to him. He said, Dad, when you meet Pharaoh and you meet the Egyptians, he said, I want you to tell them 
that you're a herdsman of cattle. And don't tell them, Dad, that you're a shepherd. He said, I want you to disguise who you really are. Because, Dad, I want Egypt to accept you. And if you tell them who you really are, Dad, they're going to think you're an abomination. Matter of fact, I could, I could use this, this, this application right now to people that walk out of church and backslide. The first thing they do is they disguise themselves. They want to do this. They, they want, they, they, they don't want to look apostolic anymore. Why? Because they want the world to accept them. Well, I could really preach there for a while. And so they want to be accepted by the world. But then he said this, he said, he said to his son, he said, his son tells him back or he, he tell, talks to his son. He said, well, you gave me that. You gave me that uh, bit of advice. I'm going to give you some advice. He said, Joseph, when I die, he's already thinking about it. He's up in age. He's 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 getting ready to, uh, to 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 come to the end of his life. He said, when I die, he said, I want you to carry my bones out of Egypt and I want you to bury me in Machpelah, which Machpelah was a cave in which. The forefathers were buried. In other words, I don't want to be buried here. And I often thought about that. What, what, what makes a difference? I don't, you know what? When I die, to be honest with you, I don't care where I'm buried. Put me in White River and send me down. I don't care. But he said, when I die here, he said, I want you to carry my bones and bury me. What he, what he was really saying was, look, son, if it's not good enough to be dead... In Egypt, it's not good enough to live there. Do you understand? If it's not good enough to be dead here, it sure isn't good enough to live here. And you know what happened? He didn't listen. He he didn't really fully listen because he stayed there long enough that the Pharaoh that loved him, that respected him, that blessed him, died. And that's how the 400 years of slavery started. Because Joseph was walking through the valley of the shadow of death and he said, you know what? I'm just going to camp out here. I'm going to stay here. And he didn't fully listen to his father. Because they didn't belong in Egypt. And because he didn't listen to his father, he stayed there and they got comfortable there. He camped out there and... What was once his sanctuary became a place that held him. And many of them died there. And they weren't designed to be there. And David said, look, I'm going to end up in the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm walking through it. I'm not camping there. And there are going to be times when you walk through places that you're not, that, 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 that you don't want to be and you're not proud of. But God didn't call us to camp there. He said, you're going to have to walk through it. You're going to walk through it. A lot of applications there. He talked about death. death. Death was a shadow. It was Brother Sullivan that said it, and I hope I can convey this. The shadow of death, what was that to David? David had been on the battlefield in the valley with Goliath. Goliath, nine foot something. Seven or eight hundred pound guy. History said that with all his armor on, he was over a thousand pounds. He's standing there. 
And he knows the shadow of a man is a lot bigger than the man itself. David's standing there, and he looks down at the shadow of death, or Goliath, and the shadow that David's, or Goliath's shadow that cast in that valley was so much bigger than Goliath. And so many times it's easy to look at the shadow, but know this, the shadow is merely a shadow, and a shadow is temporary, and it's not real. It's only the reflection of the problem in your life. And if you focus on how big that problem is, or the shadow, you won't face what God put in your life to defeat. And David had to look past the shadow. He said, it's just a shadow. Death is just a shadow. It's only temporary. I remember that when my mother passed. I, I remember the morning that I came in here. I think Sister Katie was the first one that let the people from the nursing home in when mom had passed. They brought her up here. And I remember walking in. I had Tyler with me. And I, I, didn't, have any, I didn't have the strength to walk in here. I, I, I hadn't seen her yet. Uh, I don't know how my sister did it. She went to the funeral home and done her hair. My sister Misty went there and my dad went there. And I hadn't yet seen my mom that way. And so I was scared to death. I remember standing right there by Brother Deem on the other side of that door. And I could see her coming here. And I said, God, I don't think that I can do this. I don't think that I have the strength to face this. I mean, I just didn't physically and mentally think that I could walk in here and see her. I was scared. I was frozen in my tracks. And I said, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to do something. And I'm telling you, as sure as the world, believe me or not, I looked in here and I saw, I had a vision. God, give me this vision. And I saw two ladies in shawls walking down this aisle. And right here was the head of the casket right here where mom was at. And I saw a figure sitting right here on this altar. And it was a lot, it was larger than life. And these women came up and this, the, the figure, I heard the voice. They, and he said to them, why are you seeking the dead amongst the living? She is not here. She is risen. I'm telling you, brother Carl, I walked in, I opened the door. Fear left me because I realized that death was simply a shadow and was temporary and that I knew for a fact that she wasn't here, but there was a resurrection and I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear it. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. It's temporary. He said, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. He's everything to me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod. Uh, actually, there's, there's a lot of applications, but just a couple. The rod, uh, it was an extension. It was an extension to the shepherd itself. In other words, he can reach further than, than anybody else. And if a, uh, a sheep would fall into the cleft of a rock, Ordinarily, what the shepherd couldn't reach down with his hand. He could reach down with that rod and pull, pull us out. And in other words, that there is no, there is no, uh, 
place that he, that he cannot reach. He can reach into far places that mo- others couldn't get you out of those situations. And a shepherd would use the rod to reach down into places that other people couldn't get to you. And so he was bringing comfort. And also, the sad reality of that, uh, that rod also was to war off uh, uh, wolves and lions and other things. But there was one other thing that they used the rod for. Sometimes when a sheep would stray off, he would, he would correct it, probably give it a spanking, pull it into the flock. But a lot of times the sheep, because they had a nature to continually wander off continually. And the reality was sometimes that the shepherd would have to reach down with the crook of that stick. Sounds brutal, but he would break the leg. Of that sheep. But snap it. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Why? Because the shepherd cared more about the long-term care of the sheep than he did temporary pain. And sometimes God will punish us. I hate using the word punish or chastise us or allow us to go through pain in the now to keep us From that destruction in the future. That's why the good shepherd. The Bible says that he would leave the ninety and nine for the one. Because he knew there was strength in numbers. But he knew that the enemy, the lion. That seeketh. Trying to destroy the one. He would leave the ninety nine for the one. I'm thankful for that. That Jesus cares enough for the one lone individual that he's willing to leave the 99 for the one thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies who likes to eat that's a dumb question not everybody raised their hand who likes to eat well Elliot you didn't raise your hand what are you going to do after service today brother Elliot He's fasting today. We're all going to go eat. We like to eat. I like to eat. Man, when I eat, I don't like. You ever go into a restaurant, which is almost every restaurant, that blast music? And you can't, you can't talk. You can't have a conversation. You, you, you know, because you, you like to eat in peace. You like to enjoy your food, right? And you, who likes to go eat with people that you don't like? I should ask you that around Thanksgiving time and Christmas time when all your family that annoys the time out of you. I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, I can't stand to eat my turkey with, with nut jobs. Oh, y'all are laughing. You're probably being judgmental, but y'all are the same. I like to eat and have a good time. I like to eat in peace. I like to enjoy my food. It sounds funny, but verse 5 says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies and adversary. In other words, I'm going to give you the ability to have nourishment even when there are people in your life that want to destroy you, that hate you, that mock you, and that, that, that they don't like you. And ordinarily, you wouldn't be comfortable. 
Ordinarily, you would want to seek a place to get away, to have peace. But he said, I'm going to prepare a table and I'm going to allow you to sit at a table and you're going to eat in the presence of your enemies. That despite who's around you, I'm still going to bless you. For those of you that think you're going to run from people in your life that hurt you and everything's going to be all right. There's always going to be people in your life that doesn't either like you or you're not going to get along with. Stop running from them. You think you're going to be blessed because you go somewhere else and, and find better friends or go to a different church because you don't like this or like that. Hear me. The scripture says that I'm preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And you're going to be blessed despite of the, the climate in your life and despite of the circumstances in your life. I bless you in the presence of your enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. When he was out there alone. The greatest battles was in his mind. Anybody ever felt just lonely? Had a lot of time to think yourself? Some of your greatest battles are at night, right? When you're laying in bed, things you wouldn't ordinarily worry about at noontime or three o'clock in the day. When you're laying in bed and you wake up, that's when you worry about. I mean, little bitty things. Right? That ordinarily you wouldn't worry about. You think about. The, ba- the mind is a battlefield. And when he said, thou anointest my head with oil. He also put in the physical realm, they would put oil on the head of the sheep. You know why? Because the oil was a repellent. Of the serpent. When those sheep would go through and they would root around between the rocks and the grass to find nourishment. Many times there were snakes, venomous snakes that would bite them in the face. And if they got bit in the face, they were dead. But he would pour oil on the head of the sheep. And the snakes would, would sense the oil and they wouldn't want anything to do with that sheep. And we all know that this world will weigh on our mind. We all know that our, the thoughts, if the devil can get in our mind, he, he can map out our every move, move. If he can get in our minds and to keep us depressed, he'll keep us from fulfilling the will of God in our life. And God is saying, look, I'm going to put the oil on your head so the serpent can't bite you. And I'm going to guard your face and I'm going to guard your thoughts. And with that, he said, my cup runneth over. This is not going to be full. I'm going to give you blessings, but I'm going to allow them to be running over. And you which signifies that you're not going to only be blessed, but the people around you are going to be blessed. And they're going to visually see my, the blessings I pour out on you. And they're going to pour out. And, and your children are going to be able to, uh, uh, to, to, be, uh, to be blessed. In, uh, when, while you're being blessed, your children will be blessed. Your friends will be blessed. You ever had anybody in your life that you just love to be around? Just enjoyed being around? Just to be in their presence? To, just to talk to them? 
have a lot of people in my life that I enjoy. It's, you know why? It's because God's not only blessed them, but God allows them to, be, uh, to bless others through their, through their words, through their spirit. That's why it's really important how, how you talk and how you, how you present yourself and the conversations that you have. Not to be negative, but to, 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 to you ever been, been around somebody that would just, you just, you, you just dreaded when you see them coming? Oh, they flowed over all right. It wasn't blessings. It was pure negativity. The pessimistic mentality. Never had a good word to say. The cup's always half half empty. Oh, the world's coming to an end. Always something wrong. Always something. They're always mad at somebody. You don't want to be around people like that. Who besides me has got your, you know, you got your people's name and your phone. This One of the greatest inventions is caller ID. About 20 years ago, we didn't have caller ID. It was a gamble to answer the phone, wasn't it? Oh, I hope it's somebody good. Hope it, well, you don't, because you don't want to be around people like that. And when he said, my cup runneth over, what he was saying is, I'm not only going to be blessed myself, but I'm going to be a blessing to others. And that's what he's called us to do. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, I'm not going to chase after good things because I I am in his presence. He's going to make sure that goodness and mercy will follow me everywhere I go. I'm going to be blessed. Abraham was blessed everywhere he went. Why? Because first he was faithful to God. And because he was faithful to God, he said, hey, wherever you walk, I'm going to bless he understood that. He walked north, south, east, and west. And wherever his feet landed, God blessed it. And he took a place that was barren, a place that Lot looked at and said, I don't want. I don't want that place. He said, "What I?" and he blessed him wherever he walked. He said, surely in goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to be really nice at this last part. I'm going to try to be very nice. When he said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, signifying how important it was to be amongst the people of God. That he didn't look at ev- for every excuse to stay out of church. That baseball, little league, football, fishing, hunting, Super Bowl parties, family reunions, all those things were not more important than being in the house of the Lord. I remember growing up as a, a kid, I mean, and if you was going to miss church, you was, your leg was broke, you had the flu, you had the Hong Kong crud, you had whatever. You, you couldn't make it to church, whatever. You were going to church. Now we live in a generation where people have made church and God secondary. Preaching like this is not popular. People will look for any reason to lay out of church. And so David was signifying that it's very important. He said, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, he carried church with him. He had church in his mind. He had church in his heart. And every time the door was open, he would be in the church. And it's very important that if we're ever going to make it 
to heaven. We've, we've got to be the church. We've got to make the house of God very, very important in our lives. Let's stand. See, that wasn't so bad. I could have been really, really mean on that last, that last part. It's very important that we as the church be here to, to be what God called us to be, to be the church. It's our job to create the atmosphere and usher in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's our praise and our worship. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we come together, we, what we literally do is create an atmosphere for, his pe- for, for people to come in here and their lives are changed. And that's how I look at it. Um, when, when uh, you know, there's been times I think, I don't feel like coming to church. Or I don't feel like worshiping God. But I really look, have to look at it that way. Maybe it's my worship and my praise that creates an atmosphere for people to go, wow, I literally feel the presence of Jesus. Thank you to our singers. Thank you for our worship leaders. Thank you to our musicians that come in and they, they bring and usher in the uh, sacrifice of praise and worship for people to feel the presence of God in here. Amen. Thank you for worshiping Jesus. Thank you because you care. Tonight, we're going to come in here and we're going to usher in the presence of Jesus tonight. Amen. We're going to bring in the praise of, because you, there's no telling who's going to walk in here tonight. And it's because of your praise. It's because your dedication to being in the house of God. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise tonight or this morning for your, for your worship. Or for your uh, dedication to your people. We thank you for the worship of the church that in, you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, see uh, the lost like you see them. And help us to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. We give you all the praise in your precious name. Bring us back at the appointed time. Lord, I pray that you would touch the hearts and minds of your people. In Jesus' name. Shake somebody's hand and you're dismissed in Jesus' name.